Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive Home and Auto Policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. This variant is insubordinate, stubborn, unpredictable. You need the god of mischief. Just death, destruction, the literal ends of worlds. Change. Change. Maybe Loki wants to mix it up. Is that possible? You can change. I am Loki. And I am burdened with glorious purpose. Hello and welcome to our last episode of Still Watching Loki. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I am Anthony Bresnigan, a uh, Los Angeles correspondent for Vanity Fair. And is this really our last episode, Joanna? I think we should end it in a way that loops back like a Pink Floyd (laughs) album into the first episode that we did. And and then people just can keep listening on a loop and never leave Still Watching. Are you, are always you, watching now. <laughs> it's called Mobius watching. Still watching <laughs> colon Mobius strip. Um, sure, sure. We can do we can do a Mobius strip version of the podcast. Uh, no, I mean, listen, this podcast will always be there for folks. We get emails all the time from people who are watching shows that came out like years ago, and they're like, "Found your podcast and listening to it." I'm like, "Well, I hope our oh, extra cool. extra fresh references from 2019 are really landing with folks." <laughs> uh, no, but it does it does make me happy that that folks that we're here for whenever you need a, a companion to watch a show with. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is our mail sort of mailbag wrap up of Loki. 
And then, uh, and then we're taking a couple weeks off. And then I actually don't know <laughs> what we're going to come back with. It's possible that we will, uh, be doing some Marvel stuff and it's going to be an episode about, uh, the new series, What If? Or yeah, let's do it. I'm, I'm going to, let's, I'm on the air now saying, let's do it. <laughs> do it. <laughs> Brez is, Brez, we know where Brez stands. So, so we'll see. We'll see where we land. But, uh, <sighs> we're going to, we're going to go dark for a couple weeks and then we will be back. And, um, and yeah, so so we're gonna read your emails. You you guys sent us so many good emails. Um, I spent actually multiple hours this morning going through them all and trying to answer people's emails as well as sort of grab some for us to talk about. Um, you can. Did always... you get a mean one? Did you get any mean ones? Uh, no. I got one. It's funny. I got one email disagreeing with something you said, but then. As we will discuss in the episode, uh, you're right, and that person's wrong. Okay, so... Um, I want to take them on. Let's take them. I, I'm ready to go. I've got a little uh, vinegar in me today. Folks can always email us, still watching pod at gmail.com. <laughs> if, you, if you have any further Loki ideas, I'm always here. I'm always reading your emails. You can always yes. email me, still watching pod. Well, com here for you. Uh, we've also got a couple interviews on this episode. We've got... Um, the great Kate Heron is back again uh, to, to talk to us a little bit about the finale. And then Sophia DiMartino, Sylvie herself, is here to talk about uh, this ending for Sylvie and what it all means. So that is the show. So can I, can, can I just say something totally weird? Because yeah. as you can tell, I'm in a weird mood. <laughs> Whenever you say Kate Heron, yeah. I don't know what she looks like. So I picture a great Heron, which is oh. like a water bird that's uh -huh. very graceful and elegant. So for some reason, like that's what pops up in my mind is like a, a one of these like stork like birds with ear earphones on behind the video village directing Loki. That's hilarious. <laughs> um... Kate Heron, the great Heron. The great Kate Heron. Um... <laughs> Just bringing the conversation to a complete stop. So. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm going to start with with that with the person who wrote in on something and 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 told you you were wrong about something and I'm here to tell you you're right. I already told right. you this off air, but I'm going to do it on the record. Which someone wrote in and they were like, they, di they didn't really enjoy your Kang, Citizen Kane comparison. Uh, and then I'm here to tell that person that I spoke with um, Kazra Hazrani, who is the um, production designer, the great production designer in Loki, um, about uh, that final location. And that article is up on VF.com right now uh, for you all to read. It's got some great behind the scenes sketches and set photos and stuff like that. Um, but Kazra told me that they based the Citadel on uh, Kane's like manor and also Hearst Manor. Like Xanadu. Xanadu. And that and that uh Kane and his sort of like recluse eccentricities were an inspiration for King or uh he who remains. So uh so Anthony Bresdekin, gold star for you. Gold I know my Citizen Kane and, uh, <laughs> you know, my Kubla Khan by Samuel Taylor Coolridge. Yes, in Xanadu to Kubla Khan. Um, so A stately pleasure dome decree. <laughs> uh, sophomore English class paying off. I'm just, th I'm just thrilled that, uh, that you're reciting poetry four minutes into this podcast. Um, all right. So I'm, let's I'm citing, I'm ornithol. I've got ornithology. I've got poetry. I've got, uh, fisticuffs with this listener. Let's go. Oh, no fisticuffs. <laughs> all right. I've got, a, I've got a question for you. This comes from Cal. And I think this is the perfect question Wait, for you right but, now. But what, what was the complaint email? We didn't hear the complaint email yet. No, it's just, they didn't agree with your comparison of oh, Kane. Okay. 
They said you needed to watch Citizen Kane again. And I would say that person needs to watch Citizen Kane again. Um, but- <laughs> <laughs> Let's all watch Citizen Kane again. <laughs> Still watching Colin Citizen Kane. All right. This question comes from Cal who says, were these shows, WandaVision, Falcon Winter Soldier, Loki, weird enough for you? And Anthony Bresigan, since you were in a an eccentric mood, <laughs> did the, were these shows weird enough for you? They were just the right amount of weird for me. Mm. I think... As I've said before, Marvel usually straightens out the line as it gets closer to the end of the movie or the TV show, um, and things get less weird. You know, they become more of a battle, straight ahead, straight forward. Um, there aren't a lot of twists and turns and self-reference and, you know, Easter egg type of clues that you need to have to understand. It's usually like a punch or a blast battle. Right. And um, But I like, I think the setups were intriguingly weird and um i guess i guess falcon and winter soldier is less surreal in many ways darker i think than uh uh than the other two shows uh it deals with more serious more present day themes but uh but uh but definitely like taking risks and i think wanda vision probably is the weirdest of all because you get so deep into that show before you have any idea really what's going on it's only in hindsight now that we understand it and, and that it's fairly simple. But Loki, I think, uh, I, I, what I liked about it was that it really did layer on the weirdness. The You know, there's the bizarre Kafka-esque element of the TVA, this sort of mindless bureaucracy, this machine that we're all caught up in. But then the introduction of the different Lokis, um, Lady Loki... Is it that's a nice variation when you realize that it's not always the same Tom Hiddleston looking dude <laughs> as Loki, uh, right up through Crocodile Loki or Alligator Loki, Lizard Loki. Uh, it's uh, it's pretty darn weird, and I appreciate that. I and say, then, of yeah. course, weirdest of all is uh, Jonathan Majors. I I, I will I will say his that live wire performance. <laughs> I liked Loki best when it was super weird like uh and it was always like a little weird or it was always plenty weird but like the void (laughs) and all of that stuff and all the loki's in there um all of that weirdness and yeah as you mentioned jonathan majors uh like that's the stuff that i really really responded to so i think i think i have a lot of i have really high capacity uh for weirdness and i would encourage even more eccentricity i think that's fine something that you mentioned this idea of like uh conversations over a fist uh, a punch with a fist or whatever we got this email from rachel who says uh she's talking about uh, i think she said dramaturgical silver lining of the pandemic which is a great uh email what a way to get me to click on an email but yeah. uh but she said what if one of the things that we love most about this series the thing that sets it apart from wandavision which i've seen and falcon the winter soldier which i haven't and furthermore the thing that saved them from their most wearisome tendencies to it big, noisy, bang, smash, boom fight-centered finales is the pandemic and the safety procedures they imposed on production. Uh, we're going to hear from Kate Heron in a little bit, but, like, something that, you know, has come to light in interviews since is this idea that, like, their original idea, of, an original idea for the finale was to have the uh, Loki and Sylvie fight warriors from across the time stream in this long hallway fight, uh, and uh, Kazra t- 
titled that hallway like the Hall of Heroes. That's what it says on on the sort of schematics for the Citadel Hall of Heroes. So they're going to have this big, big fight thing. And yeah, I mean, like uh, when it comes to COVID, it's safer to have Sophia DiMartino, Tom Hiddleston and Jonathan Majors sitting in a room. That is a safer way to do it. So though they have not cited COVID as a reason why they went for a smaller conversation based finale. Uh, it certainly is a possibility. What do you think, Anthony? Uh, I think that sounds reasonable, and I like the finale itself, so I'm okay with that. You know, there were some hints dropped as they enter uh, the stately Pleasure Dome of Xanadu, <laughs> uh, where there's the statue that's smashed on the ground, mm-hmm. and uh, suggesting that something went down there. Uh there's this great passage in The Plot Against America by Philip Roth where he describes a fist fight between family members only in terms of the aftermath. So it's like he's describing the living room and the smashed table and the toppled newspapers mm. and the broken vase and, you know, an askew mirror. Like he just goes through after the fight and shows us the aftermath. And I think, okay, something went down in this hallway with the, or in this chamber with these statues. And I think we're yet to see what that is. And given the time loop element of it, maybe we get that hallway fight in a Mm. different season. You know, I could see saying, uh, you know what? I'm going to save this. I'm going to save this for, for another installment. I know when in my own, my personal writing, when I write fiction, you know, uh, you know, there have been times where I've thought, oh, you know, I, this is going to be part of a series and I'll save this. I'll hint at this thing and then I'll bring it up later. Or I'll resolve it later. And so I kind of think that's what's going on. It could be. could be. Uh, certainly. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't mean to sort of just like keep referring to this piece uh, that we have up uh, when I chatted mm-hmm. with Kazra. But I did ask Kazra about the Smash uh, statue. And that was one of those answers where he was like, <laughs> I cannot tell you anything about that. Uh, so that is definitely something we're going to learn more about, I would say, uh, based on his response. Yeah. And something else that I will say based on talking to him and talk to other folks is they are they are at Marvel. They are trying to draw a really clear distinction between this character of he who remains and uh, okay. the idea of King. So, like, they do not want to use the K word, <laughs> um, and well. uh, and I mean, I think it's fine that we did, but and 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 it's fine if we do. But I just think that that's like just another data point. This idea that they're trying to keep those those ideas really separate, um, and that goes to a- another question that I asked Kazra that um, came from our listeners. I believe is one of our listeners pointed out to me that in the Eternals trailer, that's there's that big spaceship. In the sky <laughs> that comes, you know what I'm talking about? The big, like, sort oh, yeah. of flat thing. And it's, mm-hmm. and it looks like it's made out of the same material that Citadel is made out of that black, uh, rock with the gold shot through it. Uh, Kazar says that that is not, uh, an intentional connection, but we do have a question about, uh, the Eternals, which is an upcoming, uh, MCU film in here. Um, one of the, uh, you know, versions of Kang that we get in the comic book. Um, is this Pharaoh figure. And, uh, you know, since Eternals is like, you know, a, a for all time, always uh, kind of story uh, that they've always been here. Um, one of our listeners was asking if we might see um, that version of Jonathan Majors in Eternals. Um, Ramatut is the name of that character. Mm. Uh, that That came from Jacob. I would say 
No, but an idea that our producer Dave floated to me that I thought was really interesting is could the Ramatut uh, character show up in Moon Knight, which is the Disney Plus series that they're making with Oscar Isaac. I think da- I'm going to side with Dave on that. I think, yeah. Well, Dave is wise in many, many <laughs> profound ways, and, but I think he's spot on with that one. Yeah, yes. I love that idea. So uh, we don't know. And, and as many people put it out, not all of these iterations need to look like Jonathan Majors, and that's true, That though I think we laid out a kind of convincing reason why it might be Jonathan Majors playing this character in every single version. Um, but I love the idea of him showing up in Moon Knight. I think that could be really fun. Um, let us go. Let's go to this question. So Jansen wrote in this question um, asking about... Uh, you know, when, when Sylvie and Loki sort of brush forearms on Lamentis and Mobius is like, whoa, whoa, buddy, the sparks that flew from that arm brush spiked uh, a branch in the timeline uh, heretofore unseen. Uh, imagine what happens if you guys uh, smooch. That's what we said. Imagine if they smooch. Um, and then Jason wrote in and said, a touch on the forearm shook entire worlds. And Mobius said, you know, a, he didn't say a kiss, but something else might be able to bring this whole thing down. But they did kiss and nothing came down plot hole or just something they didn't move forward with i actually have an answer from this uh for this from kate so we can hear from her but before we hop to her do you have anything you want to weigh in on anthony i'm dying well i want to hear her answer i mean i i am with the listener there uh what's the name of the person again jansen jansen uh i wasn't 100 percent clear on what the touching of the forearm like how that changed things in that time branch uh i guess look i guess there's a we've talked about the weirdness of this uh, narcissistic romance already um i guess it's okay i don't know <laughs> it's a little weird feels a little taboo but uh um i i, I can't quite i don't I, again i think this is a a, a a track that they are laying that we are going to explore a little further down the, uh the storytelling path all right, let's hear what uh, Kate has to say um, about uh, the, the forearm brush. Totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Ever wanted to go inside the Met Gala? I'm Cho Minardi, and this week on the Run Through Vogue, we take you inside the world's most exclusive and glamorous party. We'll talk about the best looks from the red carpet and everything that happened after. Listen to the Run Through Vogue wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. I'm asking this question on behalf of my co-host, Anthony Bresdekin, who was curious about the um, the camera spin effect that you do in a couple different episodes, including this one. Uh, he has a theory about it, but I was just wondering what your reasoning is behind that. Yeah, sure. So um, I assume, does he mean like the clock kind of twist that we do in the Citadel or when we're like spinning yeah. around Loki at the end? No, no, the clock twist. And I feel like there's been a couple similar shots earlier. In, in yeah, episode five, we've got a similar. I think, honestly, like, 
it wasn't necessarily inspired. I think it was coming out of discussions with me in autumn because autumn, like I think for episode five with the shot going into like, you know, the opening there, I think we always knew it was playing with time and we liked the idea of that ticking clock aspect of it. But I think really for episode five, I mean, about the world being turned on its head, right? So that's kind of what we're doing in that shot, the opening of five and, and for yeah. episode six, the kind of twist was more because we're about to go into that room with the clock. And again, it's kind of playing with the idea of time for that moment. But yeah. All right. Bryson Ken was closing. You said hourglass. Yeah. He's like, it feels like she's flipping an hourglass. Uh, so cool. yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you about, uh, you know, this feels like a, the plot of this final episode feels like a nice payoff of those sort of seven hints that you've been dropping all season, this idea mm -hmm. of. Uh, a character being manipulated uh, into something. Uh, can you talk about that? And, you know, was that always the intention? Yeah, I think it was really interesting, actually, because like seven and episode six, because we always knew they were going to meet He Who Remains and that the multiverse would be free. But we were always looking at that episode and how they got to that point. Like we only came to Loki and Sylvie, like having, you know, that being the core of it. And I think once we cracked that, we were like, oh, that's exactly what it should be, you know, that. She thinks he wants the throne. It's this horrible miscommunication. Um, so I think in some ways, I mean, Mike would have to answer if it was a conscious thing for him, but I don't know if it was a conscious reference in terms of the finale. I think it definitely was for the earlier episodes, but I can definitely see the parallels for sure um, that he has in a sense manipulated <laughs> what their actions are going to be. But I think that's the exciting thing, right? For He He Remains is that he doesn't know which Loki's going to win and how it's going to go. He doesn't know whether... Sylvie will win or Loki will win. And that's kind of what makes, I guess for him, makes him so excited and feel so alive in that moment. Something I was asking uh, Sophia was, uh, you know, there's that, there's that moment where he who remains puts his temp pad down on the desk, sort of right on the edge where someone could reach it. And I was, I was asking her if she thought that was an intentional sort of bait. She said, yes. Uh, is that, is that your understanding too? Is that your feeling? I think that it's too, I think it, on one hand it is. And the other hand, I think something we spoke about was that it's a vulnerable moment for him. Right. And that, you know, he's being honest because it's almost like, look, I have no way to protect myself now. I'm putting everything on the table and I'm just going to see what happens here. And I think that's the thing. I think for him, it, it is bait in a sense, because he's like, well, one of them could take it and kill me. But at the same time, he doesn't know what's going to happen. So I think it's like a vulnerable moment of showing that his life is completely in their hands. Um, and to that question of free will, you know, that we've been talking about all season, like if, if they've been manipulated into this spot, if he constructed the path that they walked down, how much is what Sylvie does here, like her fault or free will? How do you feel about that? I feel like for me, it's free will because I feel like there's an aspect, right? Where we could say, oh, it was predetermined. And in some ways, mm -hmm it could tip that way because he says, see you soon, right? When he dies. But we also, that's the thing the timekeeper head says when she picks it up in episode four. So we put that there. And, but part of me also feels like, well, maybe he planned, he would say that if, you know, the blue pill was taken and not the red pill. But I think for me, the thing I like right. about it is it is free will because he says to them, this is new time. And we see it, the timeline's branching and he doesn't know what's going to happen. And I do believe he who remains in that moment. So I think for me, and it's more powerful in the sense, I think, that Sylvie does make that decision and she does decide to follow with her rage and her anger. Because I think otherwise it almost takes away from 
like her decision to do that if you see what I mean so I think yeah I, yeah, I, I completely do. go yeah. with the fact I think that was it the right decision we will see <laughs> but, but yeah <laughs> but I, I think that it I feel like she has free will in that moment and that bit where he's like I don't know what's going to happen and I think that's kind of for me what makes it so electric and exciting in that moment is that he's being genuine with them like speaking of the two Lokis there in that room uh Sylvie and Loki we get this earlier uh, remark from Mobius, uh, you know, that them just sort of touching arms spiked this huge thing, this sort of something about their power combined. Uh, forgive me for referencing Star Wars, but I was thinking of like Ray and Kylo and being a force dyad. Like what, what are, you know, but it's not something we see necessarily exactly play out here. So was that a forward pitch sort of idea that's in, that's put into this season? I think that it's definitely an interesting idea, right? Because I think what there's something so beautiful about that, that, you know, the fact that these two Lokis can feel any kind of feeling towards each other and like leaning towards that meaning of self-love, that it's enough to bring this entire organization down. And I thought that was a very beautiful story to tell. And I think that, but the thing that I think is interesting with it is that, you know, we see them use that power to great effect with Elias. And I think it's so beautiful when he's like, I don't know how. And she's like, you can, because we're the same. And I think for me, that really feels like we sort of start to show in Lamentus about them working as a team together, you know, as they try and get on the arc. And it obviously doesn't go to plan, but they're at least helping each other. And then when it gets to Elias, that's, I feel like where we pay that moment off. But the problem we have is Sylvie isn't, Loki and she's had a very different path and I always think of her almost yeah. like Loki and Thor you know she has all this anger and she has all this rage and is has this revenge plan and it's gonna it won't lead to anything and that's kind of what he's saying to her is like I just want you to be okay and I think that's the awful thing about it is because he is you know further down that path of self-healing than she is and I think for us like yeah. that's the thing it, it doesn't necessarily mean they're not powerful together and I hope it doesn't mean they couldn't in the future but it's just unfortunately where she is in that moment. And because her life's mission has been to take down the person behind the TBA, she can't kind of see beyond that hatred right now. I know that there were other versions of the, like, well, mm-hmm. Eric Martin tweeted out that there were sort of other things that they were considering before they landed on uh, exactly the story we got. And I also know that there's uh, footage that you shot of Tom in the throne room in Asgard and stuff like that. Yeah, I think with the finale, like it's definitely an episode that we didn't film lots of different versions. We just, I think, because basically when we were shut down over COVID, episode five and episode six in particular were scripts that we definitely went back into a lot and reworked. And just in terms of stuff we'd found from the earlier episodes that I'd already filmed and some stuff in episode four as well. And I think for us, honestly, it was just about telling the best story and you know, like we had at one point in the Citadel, a huge action sequence where they were fighting right. loads of people and it was really cool, but it's just, we were finding more and more, particularly as I was cutting the footage that, you know, the stuff where we were just letting the characters speak and live in the moment. It just had so much more punch to it. Like, uh, for example, like over lockdown, I was, I'd, I'd film most of episode one and we were finding that, you know, actually the stuff where it was just these two actors having this yeah. conversation that was just as exciting as any action sequence. And so we were like, actually, you know, episode five is our big spectacle episode. There's so much action and it's so much fun. And it kind of earned you the chance then to have a conversation again in episode six. And so I think for us, that was like the bigger script changes with that really. And with Loki in the throne room, we just had like basically some other flashback stuff for episode one, but again, tonally, it was quite heightened and he was about to see his mum get killed. And it just felt like a bit, like it almost diminished 
the kind of moment with his mother almost I think it was like we had like a moment basically with Throg and like it was really fun it was very funny but it's just being so close to Frigga dying it almost felt like we weren't really treating that respectfully and it and it felt like it wasn't working for the arc so that's how with episode five I'd already designed that shot going through the Loki palace and I knew I wanted to do something cool there but then I was like oh well let's put Throg there because it also felt weirdly that episode five our journey into mystery episode is like for me as a comic book fan it's like there's so much cool stuff in there and I thought well let's put the throg there and hopefully they can explore more with frog in the future but yeah but it was just that was the throne room scene with Loki but it's just inevitable you know whenever you make any project some stuff it, it's not necessarily that it's bad it's just you know as you shape it and find the tone it doesn't always quite sit right so um, yeah. I just got the two minute high sign and I'm sorry that means I oh. lost, lost track of time so let me just ask you really quickly I haven't even talked to you about Jonathan Majors. So, like, please talk to me about the genius that is Jonathan Majors and what it was like directing him. I mean, honestly, it's just he's one of those actors. And I was so lucky because so, like all our actors on this are so amazing. But he's so magnificent. And you just know that you're in the presence of someone really special. And I, it was amazing to have kind of a seat at the table talking about casting him with Peyton and Kevin Feige in the studio. Like that in itself was like, how am I here? Like, this is such a mega yeah. casting choice. And and then just working with him, honestly, like he's, he's an incredible actor. He's really playful. It was really fun. Honestly, just giving him, you just have to give him the runway and let him go. You know, like I think that that was just so much fun building the character with him and something else he did that I can now talk about is he also did the voice of the timekeepers. Cause when we were in post, I hadn't cast like that role yet. And I was like, well, it's a wizard of Oz reference. The wizard should be the voices. And Jonathan obviously is an amazing character actor. So yeah, he did all the voices of all three of them. And, yeah. And then with He Who Remains, honestly, it was just, it was really, in some ways, it wasn't like there was always pressure on it, but he wasn't playing a Mortis or Kang. He was like He Who Remains. So I think that was kind of fun in the sense that it was this unique creation and it was a very specific variant because he was alone in the Citadel. And like, you know, so I think for me, it was just about grounding that character in reality and sort of working out, okay, what is his psychology with Jonathan and making that feel real? So when we see Jonathan again, he could be playing something completely different because this is the variant we saw here and elsewhere. He may be doing something else entirely, a different take. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know their plans for the other ones, but you, theoretically, uh, theoretically, yeah. theoretically yeah. yeah. If it's a variant, kind of like you see it with our Loki, right? Yeah. Like there's still be, there's boastful, classic. I mean, they're all so different. So I think that's kind of the fun of it really. All right. Well, thank you so much for the chat. Short but sweet, but thank it's you. lovely to see you and congratulations and get all the rest in the world now thank that you're you. done. All right. Bye. <laughs> thank you so much. Bye. 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 I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. All right. So so Anthony did not get the benefit of hearing that. But, but essentially what Kate was saying was that the payoff for that, you know, in their minds, the payoff for that was when the two of them join forces in episode five to sort of uh, tame Elioth. Yeah, that that was so, the payoff. And I was like, you know, I, I I can see where she's coming from on that. I just, I think that that wasn't as clear to me as, as it might have been. What do you think? Yeah, that wasn't clear to me at the time. And what I liked slash 
thought was kind of a cheat uh, about the Eliath takedown was, what does she say to him? Like, let's enchant it. Yeah. Like, and because I was like, where where do you go? How do you get behind this cloud? Like, what's behind the cloud except more of the wasteland? Um, and so I, I just kind of didn't really get what was going on. And what I liked about it was, let's just make up a rule. <laughs> let's just make up something internal logic for the show that if we both grasp tendrils of this being, <laughs> we can uh, use our Loki power to Lokiize it and dispel it and thereby open up a passageway. Like I just like the instant rulemaking of that. And uh, it, I was like, good enough. I, I'm going to roll with it. I, I liked it as a, I thought it was a very appropriate cheat <laughs> and in narrative storytelling that these two just have the power to join uh, their abilities and, and somehow magically dissolve this this creature so okay i didn't make the connection back to the spiking timeline uh i guess it just is a sign that they're super powerful when they're together they're kind of like two double a batteries it kind of reminds me it kind of reminds me of like um you know in the sleeping beauty myth there are various versions of sleeping beauty myths but one of them is that like you know this this wall of of thorns has grown up a thicket of thorns has grown up around the castle and you know uh, many princes try (laughs) And many fail and die <laughs> in the thicket of thorns uh, before the right prince gets through. And so this idea that like it took these two together to get through a life to get to the castle, and that and that in turn makes them worthy to take over for he who remains. And that's what he, he says something like, you know, and then it was two of you, like not necessarily what I saw coming, but okay, like it took two of you to get here, so you can co-rule this idea that like getting through a life is a is a test and of worthiness and that they passed it only to have sylvie do what she does etc but um you know what i mean that's sort of how i was thinking i have been starting to think about it you know yeah i mean it's to me it, ugh, am i gonna get another email from uh whomever saying i don't understand this particular classic work of Fiction, but uh, it reminds me a little bit of Arthur C. Clarke's short story, The Sentinel, which was the inspiration for 2001, The Space Odyssey. Mm -hmm. Uh, Did you ever read that, Joe? I have, yeah. Yeah. Like, so it's a fascinating premise where, you know, uh, that really explains the, the monolith from the movie in, in a way the movie never really uh, directly explained. Basically, they, you know, that an advanced life form puts this, this object on the moon as a kind of warning system for when human beings or beings on earth, whatever we turn into, uh, whatever we evolve into in the future, the minute we leave earth, you know, they, they know that our first stop is going to be the moon and that we'll discover this thing. And so scientists are picking at it. They're trying to figure out what it is. They can't understand it. And they decide to blow it up with a nuclear weapon. And that sends out a shockwave signal, you know, galaxy spanning. And, Human beings realize, oh no, uh, <laughs> this was put here to see if we would destroy it, and that's a test, and mm. we failed that test. Mm-hmm. And I think something—I don't—I'm not saying they ripped it off. I, I think it's a similar theme in human storytelling of crossing the threshold, but then that threshold actually being the thing that destroys you. You know, it, mm. is the, the self-destructive nature of human beings. 
and that these two Lokis, you know, they share a bunch of commonalities, which is, one, they skew away from the bad Loki element. They start to do good. That's bad, as far as keeping things status quo. Uh, then they join forces in ways that the Lokis typically don't. Loki is kind of a loner, right? A backstabber. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So they keep sort of breaking the mold. And then they get, you know, they get to the Sentinel, right? They they get off-world. They get through the barrier. And at that point, uh, he who remains has what he wants, which is... Uh, he doesn't want just any old Loki getting through. He doesn't want to be taken out that way, but he wants these two because I think I think there's a very specific purpose in mind, you know, is that these two Lokis who, who end up trying to do good end up creating something really terrible. And I'll draw another uh, uh, literary reference in or cinematic reference, uh, which is uh, The Chocolate War. Did you, did you ever see that movie or read that book? No. Um, it's like a high school... Uh, it's a you know a high school coming of age story, very dark about bullying at a at a private Catholic school, and uh, in the movie version at least, uh, you know the wor- the, the 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 terrible terrible uh, bully throughout the whole thing gets toppled, and uh, it you think it's uh, you think this is a good thing, right? It it feels like it feels like the right thing. He's played by Wallace Langham, and then his toady played by Doug Hutchinson, who I think was in Lost, right? He was. Uh, much dude. later. Uh, yeah, yeah. He plays, he plays like the little shrimpy toady to this guy throughout the movie, and uh, he ends up ascending to become kind of the boss at the end of the film, and his plans for the coming year are like absolutely depraved. They're far worse than anything uh, that... Wallace Langham's character ever came up with. And we're left thinking, much as uh, He Who Remains hinted at, is that you, by killing him, you've unleashed something worse. And uh, I, I think that's a great recipe for tragedy. Like, it's a fun show, but it's ultimately a tragic show in the classic sense, is that you have people who are trying to do right, who are trying to do good things, and they end up doing the opposite. Yeah. I mean, but I would disagree. I I agree and I disagree. I think that's a great uh, comparison. Um, But I think that in Sylvie, it's not about her doing the virtuous right thing. It's about her need for vengeance overruling her ability to sit and wait a minute. And that's understandable given everything that she's gone through. Sure. But it's not like she's trying to do some like she she yes, she thinks she's trying to do something heroic and taking down the TVA. And and stopping him and all that sort of stuff, but also mixed in there is a heavy pour of her own personal enmity, hubris, right? Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. um, well, but totally, I, I mean, I think we can, I think we can agree on that, right? Yeah. I think I don't think she's there like I'm noble and doing the good thing. I think she's to her vengeance is right. This is just, and yet she's not thinking it through, like not looking. Further, not I. I just would be like so hesitant to do whatever. Whenever a bad guy is like, "Kill me, go ahead," <laughs> like you just have to stop and think, like, "What trap am I walking into?" This and- ties into a theory we got from one of our listeners, Ken, who wrote in and said, um, "This is a theory, a fun theory, and it's like a forward-looking uh, theory." 
Ken writes, He Who Remains is the last Kang after the Kang Wars. But before the war ended, another Kang before dying locked He Who Remains away in that castle and set a life to keep him locked up. He Who Remains then had millennia to sit to set his plans in motion with the help of the TVA Miss Minutes. So with the TVA, he had the means to capture and prune so many, but he needed only one to be brave enough to try and find him. When doing so, he manipulated both Loki and Sylvie to destroy him. And in doing so, set the multiverse in motion. He has sent Renslayer back to find him and help him conquer and win the war. Um, at first, I was like, well, it's just like a fun, silly theory or whatever from Ken. Ken but I was thinking back to this conversation I had with Kazra. And once again, like I really encourage you guys to go read this, not because I need the clicks, but because I think it's kind of interesting. The way he describes Kang is, yes, someone who's just retreated to this office who's, who doesn't leave that castle. And you have to ask yourself, mm-hmm. why? Yeah. Like, why? Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, he's lived ages. He's tired. Maybe he just has grown weary of this uh, earth or whatever. But, uh, but, or is he trapped there? Is he stuck mm. there? And he needs, he needed Sylvie to free him in a way. Back yeah. down the time stream, and now he sent Renslayer to help him do something else. I mean, we don't know. Possible. Could also be, you know, he's lived this long time. He's he's memorized the timeline. If you could reach the end of your life and then start over, but you knew all the beats of your life, you could avoid, you know, that car accident. You could have. You could do all sorts of things. You could anticipate things. You could prepare and and just like be more powerful than ever, right? It's it's a step above having the uh, the sports almanac from Back to the Future. Like you would just know the huge turning points of your life and make different choices, more selfish choices. And I kind of wonder if that's what's going on. If she, you know, by ending him, gives him a chance to start over again somehow. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? It could. It could. Yeah. We'll have to see. You know, it's it's interesting because um, uh, one of our listeners, Chris, wrote in with this idea of like, like what's the what's the Kang long game in the MCU? Mm-hmm. Uh, and essentially, like one of the questions Chris is asking is like, how do you top Endgame? And I'm not sure we need to top Endgame, right? But like, is is whatever they're setting up for the like the Kang saga going to try to be as sprawling and wide reaching as um, the Thanos of it all? And one idea that uh, Chris had, citing um, the comic House of M, which we talked about a lot um, yeah. in WandaVision, and also uh, some some activities in the final season of Lost, uh, the TV series, uh, was this idea of like a universe where only one person is awake and everyone else is asleep. And only one person remembers what things were really like before. That's sort of the position Loki finds himself at the end of this episode. He's the only he's maybe hopped a time branch or something like that. And he's the only one who remembers what it was like before. And mm-hmm. so will we have like a big hero, uh, you know, hero spanning, uh, you know, version of reality where like, you know, Mark Ruffalo's Hulk or Chris Hemsworth's Thor or whatever, like that none of them remember what it was like before and only loki or only someone else is able to go in and wake them up um mm-hmm. i thought that was it was just a fun idea you know but like how do you how do you wrap up the kang salva i mean it just depends to go back to the weird question it depends how weird the mcu is willing to get how much are they willing to break their own like 
carefully constructed world and continuity in order to you know really show us what Kang can do in a in a timeline breaking reality breaking kind of way do you know what i mean yeah i think they're never going to get so they're never going to get completely weird for you and i and i think for a lot of the people who are deep dive people uh you know who know know the comics well or are are rooted in that sort of self-referential stuff that I think they're always going to keep it somewhat close to the ocean surface. You know, they might go deep here and there, but uh, I think as the audience becomes more acclimated to the idea of what a multiverse is, they're going to play with that. So it's almost like the audience's feelings about the MCU become a part of the show. You love this Spider-Man or that Spider-Man. You like this character or that character. Like we're going to bring them in. In some ways, we're going to show you variation and uh, and make it all one unified thing. So that's what I think they're kind of moving toward is, is the, aud- the, the, the audience affection for the MCU and Marvel Comics and even the non-MCU Marvel films is going to become a part of, uh, of the action. You Love it. I mean, it's right. Po- Do you think I'm right there? Like, it's possible. That's how you top. I mean, that's we- how you top it. You know, we like by building a, on top of it. We had a couple emails from people who either themselves or their partners were a little frustrated with with the He Who Remains reveal because they they did feel like they were required to know more. Uh, and I, I would argue you you didn't have to, but I can understand how it would feel that way. How you would feel like you were missing out on something if you didn't know the lore behind this character. And uh, and in that way, they felt like they were required to watch all the things in order to understand any one thing. And I know that that's something that Marvel is trying not to do. They're trying to make things accessible and 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 newcomer friendly, but um, you know, with 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 some mixed results. You know what I mean? Um, all right. So we got this email from Emily who asks, "Are we gonna know more about who raised Sylvie? And is that pre time arrest, or did they raise her through various timelines? I would appreciate any thoughts slash theories on Sylvie in general and her ability to age specifically." Emily, guess what? I have Sophia DiMartino here to answer your questions about Sylvie, in which she answers none of your questions about Sylvie. <laughs> uh, she says she doesn't know really, uh, and uh, you know, I have some. Qu- I will say this, and I'm not the only one to say this. And I hope it's okay for me to say this, but I'm just going to say this. I have some questions about some of the answers that some of these Loki folks are giving in these interviews. I am not trying to cast any aspersions on the folks who are giving these answers, but I know that it is Marvel's desire to keep things very secret. And that puts their talent in a tough spot. And so I think sometimes you have actors and creators who don't know how to answer questions (laughs) because they don't want to give anything away. They're terrified to give anything away. So uh, you might hear a little bit of that in this interview. It can be tough for both sides to navigate. So uh, let us go to our conversation with Sofia DiMartino. All right. I want to actually start at the very end for your character. Is okay. These uh, final moments after the stabbing. Um, what, what were you trying to play there? Hmm. I think in that final moment, Sylvie is empty I was I guess in my mind it's sort of this moment that she's been waiting for for so long yeah and then finally she's done it 
and she's sort of waiting for the relief and the release and something to happen to make her feel a tiny bit better about things and it just doesn't come and and she's left sort of questioning everything do you feel like there's um regret in there or what do you think I think that definitely comes at some point I don't know if it comes in the in the seconds after right um after she's killed him I'm sure it will though at some point because the whole conversation that's just happened with Loki is almost like a misunderstanding just a bad bit of communication in a way so yeah it's her impulse that's that's um encouraged her to do that and and then she's left with the reality of what she's done it's big it's It's, some big feels yeah yeah well you call it a misunderstanding but a a question that I have is about Mm. what kind of choice she even had in that in that moment something that uh Kate has talked to me about before and a couple of other people who, who worked on the season this idea of if there is someone or something pruning your life, making all these big decisions, if, as that character says, you know, I made the path that you walked on to get here, how much yeah. of a choice does Sylvie actually have in this moment? Well, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> if he's telling the truth. Sure, sure. But I think she's just blinded by her own mission and by her desire to just just kill this guy the the person that's ripped her life away from her um I mean the bigger question I guess is that does she have free will in that in that moment and the whole series is asking that question uh I don't know if it's answered by the end of that scene what do you it depends if you believe him or not true it, what it, what is your take i mean that we're not going to take this as gospel i'm just curious what your your version of events is i like to think that she did have some free will in that moment mm-hmm. because she could have chosen not to do it they could have chosen to rule the timeline they were given the option mm-hmm. and they chose different things if they're the same if they're variants of the same being yeah and they decided different things in the last moment, does that prove that they do have some free will? That's a great question. I love that. I mean, I, I wanted to ask you about that because there's this, you know, there's all this connection between them of, of we're the same. I see you, you see me. I don't have to explain myself to you because you just get it. And this idea that in these final moments, she says, I'm not you and sort of shoves him away. Um, and part of that, you know, if you want, if you want to get, um, deep about it part of that is you know her what shoving away a slightly more evolved version if we want to call him that of of her because he's not he's not being motivated by these things that she's being motivated and she's had a different experience than he has so I don't know where where do you stand on the whole they're the same they're different I mean I've always said that I think Sylvie is her own person that she's a version of Loki but she's she's Sylvie and that's because of her experience like you say they're very different and guess it's the whole nature nurture debate um but they've had you know they've had different lives and it's made them into different people they have so much they have so much in common they have so many similarities but in that final moment they made a different choice I think it's really interesting that um well something that Kate said to me and 
I can't remember if she promised me this. She must not have because she must have known how the series would play out. But she she was sort of encouraging me to ask questions like, you know, why is she called Sylvie? Why is her hair blonde? Do you have the answer to to why she's called Sylvie and why her hair is blonde? I don't have a definitive answer, but I know what I think. Sure. <laughs> um, and I think it's because she's reinvented herself because she's taken on a new uh, ver- version of herself and she's given herself a new name and she's died. Why do any of us, you know, change our hair or change oh our gosh. name or, yeah. you know, people do it all the time. And it's a way sometimes to have a new start or to find something within yourself that you've been searching for for a while and it helps to physically change yourself or call yourself by a different name in order to find that new part of yourself that you want to nurture or you know so it's all of those things I think it's a it's a reinvention of herself that's my personal favorite move if I need a change is to change my hair color number one number one thing I go to yeah yeah, exactly me too definitely (laughs) It's also like low stakes because it it just sort of grows back. Exactly. You can wash out, grow back, something like that. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you what your understanding of what Sylvie's like, life was like before she was taken away. We see her very briefly in Asgard, but, you know, is, does she, she never talks about Thor. And I find that so interesting. Did she have a Thor? Did she care about that relationship what do you think it's a good question I don't know I don't know if Loki could a a Loki could exist without a Thor or whether um Thor had a different variant (laughs) there's too many um variations of what could what could have happened and how it could have been um I imagine that she was living a a pretty similar life to, to Loki was at that time in Asgard a sort of princess version of the prince of Asgard and yeah that was taken away from her we don't really we don't really talk about it in the series of Loki do we (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) back well you know there's always season two back to uh (laughs) this choice and whether she had one something that I you know a couple people have noticed upon rewatch right before she goes to grab that temp pad to open the door behind Loki and shove him through that he who remains, um, if we want to call him that, uh, put it right there, put it right within her reach. Do you feel like that was an intentional thing? What do you think? I think it was probably some kind of test maybe. Yeah. You know, this is here if you want it. Either of them could have used it. Though. Loki or Sylvie could have used it. And then, I mean, let's let's talk about the Jonathan Majors of it all. Uh, this is a this is a like you know big Gonzo uh, performance exploding in the finale here. I loved it. What was it like when you read the role on the page versus watching what he did with it? You know, th- is there a gap between what you were expecting and what you got? Uh, I think he just blew it out of the pond, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> he just turned up on set he knew every single line back to front and inside out he just owned it the minute he walked on that set and it was it was a pleasure to watch honestly it's a long old scene it's like a one person play really well it's a um, three it's a three-hander that's what, I mean that's what I love about it you know what I mean like- yeah you're right it's a three-hander but he's got some really long speeches in there and he is 
driving the whole thing. It, all eyes are on him for the whole time he's he's on on set. Um, yeah, and he was just fantastic to watch. Tom and I were just sat there with our jaws on the floor, like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> this guy is great. Yeah. Did you, What did you expect before you saw what he was deciding to do? Did you have a different, did you think you were going to get someone like twisting their mustache or, or any other sort of version of that? I didn't expect him to be so eccentric <laughs> in the way that he it's quite subtle his performance in in the in the choices that he makes but at the same time not (laughs) it's sort of um it's clever you know that and every take was completely different that the way he he did it he was just bringing more and more for every take there was one bit where he was like back back flipping around the room and I don't know if it was used in the end but he's like a really amazing mover as well (laughs) Um, he was doing all kinds of stuff I didn't expect any of that you know, I guess I expected someone a little bit more serious, just sat behind a desk, you know, menacing in a in a more sort of obvious way, maybe. Mm-hmm. Whereas Jonathan was a little bit more unhinged, which was great. Um, how does it? How does his approach, whatever that might be, um, contrast or complement your approach? When I'm playing Sylvie, um, I just think about what's going on for her. So. You know, this is a lot of build-up walking into that building where he he remains is. You know, she's on guard. She's full of energy. She's ready to. She's ready to kill. She's angry. She's uh, everything's bubbling. You know, inside her, and she's just gripping her machete because she doesn't know when she's going to have to make a move. It's that sort of a sort of cat circling its prey right sort of energy is how I would approach a scene like that and every single decision is okay I'm going to sit down in this chair but I'm going to be really careful because I don't know if I'm going to have to spring out of this chair to kill someone like it's all very ready to go yeah yeah like a tail twitching ready to go sort of thing yeah she's very cat-like I I see her as that yeah I love that um, one of the, the episodes, uh, co-writers, Eric Martin, uh, tweeted out some other versions of the finale, one of which was sort of a little bit more action heavy where Sylvie and Loki were going to have to sort of fight all these heroes. Did you ever see other versions of the script where, um, there was something else going on in the finale? No, I want to read them all. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. We didn't get episode six until very late. Um, I think we, it was, you know, a few weeks before we shot it. Um, we've got the script. So I guess we've got pretty much the finished the finished thing. But I'd love to read some of the alternative endings. Did they give you this full arc of the character, though? Like, you didn't have the script, but did you know that it was going to end with her doing something like this? Were you playing towards that? Yeah. I, th- I, I think Kate explained to me that... That was how it was going to end, but I guess the the bit before the end was up for grabs and how they how we got there. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like it's changed a, a few times. Um, but I think Sylvie was always going to do him in. I'll probably be corrected by someone <laughs> now. I've said that. When did you find out about a season two? When you did. When when I when everyone else did. Really? <laughs> when I saw. Yeah, yeah. When I. For certain, when I saw the um, 
you know, the the tag at the end of episode six. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it is happening. I mean, there have been so many rumours. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still, I mean, I haven't heard anything official, official straight to me. So I'm just sort of, you know, <laughs> going by what they've told everyone else. Have they, um, even though you haven't heard anything official, um, we'll presume you're in season two. But had they talked to you at all about um, potential involvement in the future of Marvel when you signed on for this? Um, I don't really know. They haven't mentioned anything about series two, you know, specifically or officially. Um, the rest of it, I have no idea. Honestly, I'm. I'm they just clueless. sign you on, and you're like, maybe it's just six episodes or. Could That's be it. more. It's it's pretty vague. All right. Um. Well, like, let me ask you about working with Kate then, um, because I know you've worked with her before. Uh, what was it like watching her tackle something like this? Oh, so wonderful. She's just she just lives and breathes it. She's always so hardworking. She just <clears throat> goes for it with everything she does, whether it's a short film, you know, um, a low budget series or a marvel disney show she's she just absolutely goes for it and it was so nice to to see her in that position and have you know such fantastic heads of department around her and they're you know working with her to achieve this vision that she had right at the beginning um and she just absolutely smashed it she's such a wonderful person to be around she's just quite chilled and she's she knows so much about the you know the universe and the characters and so she she usually knows the answer if you have you know an odd question for her (laughs) um yeah she was just like the Kate I've always known she just happened to be directing a massive show (laughs) did um Did you have any uh, odd or specific questions to ask her about about lore that she was able to just sort of come up with an answer for you? Um, I mean, I had so many questions. I wanted to know all the questions you will want to know, like why is her horn broken? Why does she have blonde hair? Why is her name Sylvie? Why, you know, did she did did she was she aware that of Loki existing before she met him? How much did she know about? um variants and the, the, the timeline and you know before she came face to face with Loki so Kate did her best to answer those questions and I think we sort of figured it out all together as we as we went along did you do you have a story about the broken horn I think we we settled on the idea that she's just you know broken it in battle she's been fighting and she's been hiding out in apocalypses for years so it's kind of um yeah it's just she's she's broken and that's <laughs> that's included <laughs> in the penultimate episode you and tom have this lovely you know blanket scene where sylvie is you know there's obviously this connection here but she is you know resistant to put it in the in the uh in the romance category um and then you know obviously there's this smooch in the finale um you know, how much of that kiss is distraction and manipulation and how much is genuine uh, emotion coming from her? The kiss, I think it's a, a bit of both. <laughs> um, I think 
she's grown to she's grown fond of Loki at that point, but she's made her decision. So it's I said in an interview the other day, I see it sort of like a, you know, it's been fun, but see you later. Goodbye, mm. kiss. And it also helps her to spin him round so she can get he who remains as tempad thingamajig. <laughs> so it's kind of helpful right. in the same way. Yeah. But you know, I don't think it's a totally cold move. She's it's almost like and you know, I'm sorry, dude, but I have to do this. And maybe, you know, pushing him through the time door is a way to keep him safe, to get him out of the way, but also to keep him safe. I really like that uh, version of it. That's that's at least a part of it that I was keeping in my head, watching her shove him through that door. She saved him and she had this other thing she needed to do. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, when you look back on your various scenes over the season, is there one moment one interaction one line that you feel like most encapsulates who you think this character is I mean the last line is the the last line that Sylvie says to Loki um I'm not you says a lot doesn't it (laughs) so maybe that and everything that goes with that line too yeah and then I'm curious just more broadly um you know I don't know if you ever expected to find yourself in the middle of a, of a giant Marvel property like this, but um, if you ever dreamed of it, you know, how did your experience align with what you expected and how was it different from what you expected? I never expected (laughs) to be in a show like this and in a universe like this. It's, it's fantastic, but it really wasn't, on my radar of things it wasn't on my to-do list (laughs) really it's been wonderful surprise in many ways um and there were moments when we were on set where I sort of turned to Gugu or Tom and be like oh shit we're in a a Marvel show (laughs) (laughs) ah it sort of you you are reminded every now and then when you step onto a new set or when you see someone's great costume or where, you know, the production value hits you in the face and you're like, wow, I'm here. This is what we're doing now. I think in the in the time theatre when I was in a scene with Gugu and Tom and I was like, wow, Gugu, Tom, Marvel, Disney show. Wow. OK, we're doing this now. I'm here. Ah, deep breath. Don't think about it too much. Just say your lines, get off stage, go home. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You mentioned, you mentioned the production value, the production design on this project is just incredible. Like everything's incredible, but Kazra's like production work is just astonishing. I was wondering if you had a favorite location that you got to work on. I love Sheru, the set that was built outside in the parking lot, which we did this sort of one yeah. Um, I love that set. It's it was so clever, it's so beautiful. It looks completely different in the day to how it looks at night because we only shot at night on it and all of the paint sort of glowed in the dark and it really came alive. The whole thing was just designed to be to come alive and um, when the sun goes down and it was just so cool and beautiful and yeah, I could have happily 
lived in Shiru for a bit. <laughs> if it wasn't an apocalypse. Sure, you know? sure. If the moon wasn't <laughs> crashing into a planet. Um, yeah. Something that I've heard from a lot of people um, is about how involved Tom was. I think Wunmi was talking to me about, you know, him running lives with her, him doing combat training with her, all this stuff in a way that you would not expect the star of a show to necessarily do, but that he was just so hands-on. And I'm wondering um, in the work that you two did together, sort of what was the most, most helpful or most surprisingly hands-on thing that Tom did? He's always just really present and aware and open if you need him, you know, um, He'd often, you know, just come over and we'd run lines before before work or, you know, he'd, we'd catch up on the phone afterwards to, you know, he'd check in and see, you know, how my day had been, whether he'd been on set or not. And he still does that. He still calls me to check in to see how things are going. He's, he's, <laughs> he's really is a sweetheart. And, yeah, you're right. You wouldn't necessarily imagine um that number one to have the time or the thought to do that and he obviously does it for everyone which is just incredible he's just a really nice guy I think um yeah he knew that this was a new sort of experience for me right and it was a, a big deal and you know um he 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 just made sure I was all right and he still does very sweet. What about this final fight that you two have? This big uh, duel in in the office there. What was um, between Loki and Sylvie? What was uh, what was that like to choreograph? Oh, that was a lot of fun. We wanted it to be full of sort of tension and you know, like Mister and Mrs. Smith. <laughs> That's how I imagined it. Love Angelina it. and Brad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm casting myself as Angelina, of course. But you can also Um, be Brad. I believe in you. Oh, (laughs) Um, I mean, I'd be happy with either. But they, (laughs) they, yeah, we we really wanted it to be full of emotion and sort of heartbreak. And (sighs) that's why we, we get quite close in the fight. And there's lots of pauses where we're just like looking at each other. And a lot of it's sort of unsaid. Um. Yeah, it was it was great to choreograph, and Matt and Sarah, our stunt doubles, were also just brilliant. Um, so talented, um, the whole sort of stunts department. But um, yeah, they they helped us figure it out and worked on it, and then would sort of teach us the the dance, and then we'd do our best. <laughs> <laughs> I think Tom has described. His fighting style, the, the the Loki fighting style is, I think it's water, is what he said, or maybe air, um, but just sort of you mm. know flowing with the knives and stuff like that. In con- and that it was designed in contrast to Thor's more sort of brutish hammer, you know, style. And I'm wondering if if you were given any sort of descriptions about Sylvie's style, if, if they departed from that uh, in any way. Yeah, we wanted her fighting style to be very different to Tom's, uh, to, to Loki's, mm-hmm. um, and decided that she should be more of a brawler. She should be like a bar fight sort of champion. <laughs> she just <laughs> wants to knock people out. And she's really strong. So just brute strength and, um, and yeah, like also this sort of cat-like prowling um, and really just enjoying 
the fight that's that's yeah that's what we sort of decided on for Sylvie so much fun and then I'm just curious of course to know how the reactions have been sitting with you I mean I know I follow you on Instagram so I see that you know you're sharing memes and stuff like that so I know you're at least aware of how people are engaging with the show so what's that been like for you been so wonderful people are amazing aren't they they just they do things so quickly as well they're like creating all this artwork and editing these super cuts and people are putting memes out there that are just hilarious I, I it's just very entertaining and it's been so wonderful to see how much people love the show and how much yeah like you said they're engaging with it and man you know using it to foster their own creativity and make stuff and just yeah I, I love that did you uh did you have a favorite that you saw I'm really enjoying all of the reaction videos to episode six at the moment. <laughs> People just screaming at the camera. It's pretty funny. Um, there's been so many, so many talented artists who are, you know, creating work seemingly overnight. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where they find the time or the energy to do it. Yeah. I think people just stay up all night and pour their heart and soul into it. And uh, yeah, I'm just very grateful and amazed. And yeah, I've got a lot of admiration for anyone who can draw. (laughs) (laughs) And then I guess, um, you know, one of my last questions for you is, um, you know, a reaction I've seen to Sylvie's choice here. Um, Are, you know, are folks, wanting to blame her for whatever comes next. That's not where I sit with it because I have a lot of sympathy for how she's been persecuted and abused in her life. Um, so I guess to, to anyone who's, who's tempted to blame Sylvie, what, you know, what would be your response to that? Yeah. I mean, I would understand, I would understand that, but I guess we just, we need to wait and see what actually happens. If, if, if he was telling the truth, if that is what's going to happen. and. I don't know. Maybe it will be entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you'll want to thank Sylvie for all the enjoyable maybe. stories you have coming forward. Maybe. <laughs> um, I know. Okay. So I know you can't, you, you are very cautiously saying, you know, nothing about season two, et cetera, et cetera. So can we play just a thought experiment with it and say, if you were to return for a second season, would you want to play another variant version of Loki in addition to Sylvie. Would that be a fun thing for you to do? In addition to Sylvie? You mean like play two characters? Yeah. Or three or five or whatever. That sounds like a lot of hard work. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I wouldn't be, (laughs) I wouldn't be, um, I wouldn't be closed off to anything. I'm, I'm really excited to hear what plans they have for series two. I I mean, because it could go in so many different directions literally oh yeah absolutely I I'm just as excited as as everyone else really to see what they decide how they decide to start it off what what they decide to do with it and I mean I guess I guess my follow-up question to that is you know if you were to play other other variant versions of Loki um what have you learned from these episodes from talking to Tom who we all know has these Loki lectures you know, what do you think is inherent to Loki coming out of this? What has to be true about a Loki? Yeah, 
So I guess Kid Loki, Classic Loki, Boastful Loki, Loki, President Loki, Sylvie, they all, they're all sort of, they all have the mischief that, that, that Loki's famous for. Um, Obviously they all have their glorious purpose. Um, And we're not sure if they can change, even though they're that kind of person that we can see desperately needs to in order to try and be happy. Um, I guess they all have that in common. Thanks so much for, for your great work and for the chat. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. It's been lovely. Yeah. It's been yeah. lovely to talk to you. All right. Um, is, I mean, we're, we're close to wrapping up, Brez. We had, we had so many emails. I'm sorry we couldn't get to more, but like, is there, is there anything more you want to say about, uh, about Loki? Um, yeah, I think uh, I'm looking. I'm really happy that they announced the chapter two. It's given me a, a a lot more to think about in terms of what what points of ellipses remain in the show and uh, and, and the kind of broader mysteries. I do believe that we see we glimpse where we get a sense of Kang. We can call him Kang Prime uh, it, when Loki looks over the railing and sees that the three statues uh, have been replaced by one. And that's tradition. That, that guy, that version of Jonathan majors is wearing the traditional Kang uniform. So I feel like, okay, there's, there's a little bit of the ominous uh, vibes mm-hmm. that we need to, to move forward. Uh, but yeah, I'm just psyched for what's coming next. And I, I really am looking forward to what if, because I think I do believe that what if is going to be not just a standalone series imagining various options you know i think it's going to be oh yeah these are alternate timeline things that's what i i think that's going to be the framework it could be that could be really fun um i just want to shout out a couple more sort of uh references we got from folks someone uh referenced uh richard pryor in the whiz that was rebecca she felt like Jonathan Majors is doing like a real Richard Pryor in the Wiz uh, oh, that's cool. vibe. Yeah. Um, and then someone else mentioned uh, Gene Wilder in uh, Willy Wonka, the Chocolate Factory, uh, that they they got like sort of eccentric Willy Wonka vibes off of uh, Jonathan Majors as well. I like both of those references too. And we also yeah. got some great emails about Genesis and, and Paradise Lost and Milton and all this stuff like that. And I just want to say really quickly before we go, thank you guys so much for all of your emails. Uh, you guys help me understand the show so much better. You guys give me so many good things to talk to think about, to talk about. I love our emailers. I love our listeners. So thank you all for that. Thank you, Anthony, for stepping up big time, especially in these last couple episodes and Richard's absence. And uh and we did it. We did Loki. Well, I I, I would echo those comments. I love reading the listener emails. This is a, a conversation not just between you and I, but with them as well. Like exactly. they're they're a part of this. Everybody who writes in, everybody who tweets at us and shares their thoughts. Like we love, as you could tell, Joe and I love talking about this stuff. We, we do podcasts all the time just for the two of us. <laughs> we start talking, we go down the rabbit hole on shows and movies, just in private conversations. And it's fun to share it with you. But I, I think the best part about sharing with you is hearing your thoughts back. Whether you agree, whether you disagree, that's what's fun about it. That's the joy of, uh, of uh discussing the show and it's what i go when i love a show i go looking for commentary and talk and insights and joe your interviews have all been spectacular this uh this uh, season as they always are but uh it's a just a real pleasure to be a part of it thanks everybody we love doing it um all right so uh you can find me on twitter at joe wrote this you can find richard on twitter at rylaws anthony you can find his great work on vf.com uh we'll be back in some capacity (laughs) 
at some point in the future. Uh, and until then, uh, you know, keep keep on keeping on for all time always. And, and we'll see you around. Uh, bye. Bye. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new uh, translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Oh. Really excited to see... Whether I can read the Iliad again, whether I'm that literate, I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. (laughs) He can't stop. I mean, and and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. (laughs) (laughs) We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon.